Well, Bonex, much like Ron Burgundy, has been good. Really good. Just how good exactly should that H word be tossed around? And we check in on the defense. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view if you're watching on YouTube of the day. Part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks, which is why, if you haven't already, please continue to like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show. We just had 1,400 YouTube subscribers. When I took the show over, there were eight in that particular area of podcast consumption. Thank you so, so much. Seriously, from the bottom of my heart, I love each and every one of you who continue to watch or listen to the show, which today is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online where the game starts. Let's talk about that man, Bo Nix. Adam Moody sent in a question, which you all know how to do at this point. Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks or the YouTube comments as well. You get a question answered. He wants to know whether or not Bo Nix is a Heisman contender. And this is an interesting question. And I'm going to provide uh, some context with regards to my my answer here. But my mom always says that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. My mom, as you might imagine, is a wise woman. If you go on a date and you are not even giving it a chance and you're expecting it to fail and you don't really want it to go well because maybe you're just not in that sort of mindset or you have a preconceived notion about her or vice versa if if you're a girl even if you're having fun halfway through on that date you might not give it a chance for a second date because going into it you had a certain idea of what it was going to be and you had a perception of who the person was based on information that others had told you about her. If you go into a date like that, there's a pretty good chance you're going to come out on the other side and not see it for what it actually was. And that's Bo Nix right now for, I think, some Oregon fans, though the perception has changed a little bit, and plenty of people outside the University of Oregon. You went into this Bo Nix experiment and said, hey, We just want, and this is what I was saying before the year as well, I wasn't in the he's going to be great or he's going to be terrible camp. I was in a he could be good. Let's wait and see. He has been good to this point. But coming into the year, you thought he was Bo Picks. You thought he was a guy who had never completed more than 61% of his throws. Sure, he'd improved each of his three years at the University of Auburn coming into this year with the Ducks, but that's besides the point. You thought that he was a low completion guy, turned the ball over a lot, broke down in the pocket. Everybody who was against this Bo Nix trial, this Bo Nix transfer, whatever you want to call it, had those sorts of notions, and plenty of people still think that about him. And the Georgia game certainly didn't help that perception. But the last six weeks, and I don't think he played that horribly in the Georgia game. He just made really one bad throw, and the offense didn't execute in the red zone, which we learned we needed about a month to iron out the details of anyway. Bo Nix has been really, really good. 
And even if you think, oh, yeah, Bo has been good and the running backs have been amazing, the offensive line's been great, Bo Nix statistically has been better than you think. Now, I always say, and will continue to stay, say, statistics are a starting point. They are not an end point. In this particular instance, from what we have seen from Bo Nix, the statistics that he has put up have been a pretty darn good indicator of just how good he's been so far as Oregon's quarterback. And we're going to come back to that perception notion here in just a moment. But first, some numbers. Through seven games this year, Bo Nix is completing 71.5% of his passes. That's 10% better than he's had. 10% is a gargantuan amount in the quarterback completion department. Just over 1,800 yards, 17 touchdowns, three interceptions, two of which came against Georgia, by the way. He's also run for 382 yards at a clip of eight per attempt with eight touchdowns. Just so you understand, I am not saying he is this good. And I'm going to get to the Heisman question here in just a moment, too. But just so you understand how impressive those numbers are, Mariota's Heisman year in 2014, at this point in the season, he'd completed 70% of his throws, a touch below Bo. He'd thrown for more yards, 1,957 to Bo's 1,809. 19 touchdowns, no interceptions. That's a crazy stat. (laughs) That is a wild stat. (laughs) Absolutely wild. And he'd run for 289 yards and five touchdowns. He could have run for more if he'd had this uh, offensive staff where they have a quarterback sneak as a component. So I don't worry about that too much. My point here is Bo Nix has been really, really good. And he came in as a three-star transfer. He came in with a nickname, Bo Picks, and he can't stay in the pocket and he can't do this. And he's got all these flaws. I want you to ask yourself this question with regards to the perception of Bo Nix and how he's played so far and how you should feel about him. If he were putting up those numbers as, say, I don't know, a highly touted five-star recruit, which he was at one point in time, but let's overlook that because he was a three-star transfer on 24-7 sports. If he were a true sophomore who had played sparingly his first year but was a five-star recruit a la Ty Thompson or Dante Moore, and he was putting up these sorts of numbers, how would you feel? How would you feel if it was not coming from a guy who had a checkered past and is playing perhaps his only season as Oregon's quarterback? You'd feel highly optimistic, I would imagine. And you'd have this great sense of satisfaction of this is a guy we recruited. He had all this potential, talked him up and everyone. And, you know, and I talk up recruits all the time. Recruiting matters. It always has. It always will. But you would have seen this guy come in as a big time recruit and watched him put up these numbers and say, this is exactly what we thought he was going to be. When Bonix went to Auburn, there was never a prolonged stretch where he looked like a five star caliber recruit and an all world beater quarterback. Maybe he just wasn't with the right team. Auburn's about to fire their second coach in the last three years. Oregon fans are trying to figure out and asking me a million questions about how we can keep Kenny Dillingham and that staff together because everything's going so well right now. And yeah, it's a slightly lower level of competition. I'll grant you that. 
I 100% will. But he is playing at the level of a high four or five-star quarterback. The way that you hope they will one day play when they commit to your school, when Dante Moore commits. If he has a six-game run one day, it'll be an intense feeling of satisfaction for Duck fans. If we recruited this guy, we were, we were optimistic, we wanted to see, and this is what you're looking for. And I think that Bo Nix sometimes can have his perception harmed and not get the credit that he deserves for the season that he is having right now because of what's happened in the past. But if you go into that date saying, this isn't going to be fun, it's not going to be worth it, I'm not going to want to go on a second date, guess what? You're probably not going to go on a second date. And the irony of me making that particular analogy for today's show is I don't go on dates. But I imagine for the people that do that thing regularly, that regularly, sorry, that wasn't English there for a hot second, that's the way it plays out. You go into something with what, if you go into a round of golf, I'm going to suck today. Guess what? You're probably going to suck. You got to be able to give players a chance no matter where they come from. And I think Oregon fans, for the most part, have been pretty positive, but he deserves our respect for how he has played so far. He's got another half of the season to prove it. Because he could take a dramatic step back. He'd throw a game-losing interception. And Oregon fans, I get the sense some of you would snap on him like that. You would do a complete 180 and say, oh, nope, there he is. There, there's that guy. And I, I'm sure there are some fans out there who are still looking for those moments. Who are say, I got a text from someone just the other day that said, I still don't think Bo Nix is very good, but hey, congrats on the win for the Ducks. I'm like, well, he wasn't very good at Auburn. But I'm watching him at Oregon. What am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to say based on what he has done so far? He's been nothing short of the best. I, I don't think he could be playing any better. I really don't. I really, really don't. Is he good enough to be in the Heisman discussion? I'll answer that question after I tell you about Sweatblock. Here's a real customer review from someone who used Sweatblock. Pamela would hide in the office bathroom every 30 minutes to dry her armpits so no one would see the wet circles under her arms. That is not a great feeling when you're out in public or at work. Now, for me, it's not as big of a deal because I'm sitting here behind a desk and there's nobody around. I mean, my housemate is in the other room, but, uh, you know, he, he can't care that much. Anyway, she finally, Pamela, has her life back because of Sweatblock. Sweatblock gives you the confidence to wear what you want, when you want, where you want, without embarrassing underarm sweat. The Sweatblock wipes are featured or they were featured rather and tested on the Rachel Ray show by firefighters. Fun fact for you on that note, by the way, Rachel Ray, when I was nine years old, my first celebrity crush, I loved watching 30 minute meals. I watched food network to this day. Firefighters went on her show, tested them out. Boom, cash money. If you or someone you love is experiencing embarrassing sweat or odor, try sweat block, save 20% with the promo code locked on at sweatblock.com. Also available on Amazon. So Bo has put up incredible numbers, comparable to what Mariota did in his Heisman year. There is, I'd say at best, a 2% chance, and I just say that because that's sort of milk that I enjoy drinking, that he gets to New York City this year, even if he keeps up this level of play. And the reason is because you can only have three finalists who get there, and maybe he'll get some votes as the year goes on if Oregon keeps winning and keeps themselves in the race for a college football playoff spot, sure, he gets some votes. And it's not a bad story. 
but the perception, going back to what I talked about earlier on the show, beyond the Oregon fan base and beyond people who follow and cover the Pac-12 and have seen him play on a week-to-week basis is, yeah, he's, you know, had some good games here and there, but, oh, man, that Georgia game. And, man, I watched him for three years in the SEC. It's not fair. It's not right. But it'll hold him back. And coming in as a one-year transfer, you've got to be, I think the only precedent for that, for being able to generate that sort of media hype and buzz when you are a brand new player and you're only there for one year, although Joe Burrow actually won the Heisman in his second year. He had one year with LSU and then popped in his second year. That's the only one that I can really think of. Maybe there are some others. That's just off the top of my head. By all means, hop in the comments if I'm forgetting one. But generally, when you have awards like MVP in professional sports, Heisman Trophy, there is a narrative component to it. And though the narrative of Bo Nix going to a better situation at Oregon than what he had at Auburn is is compelling to us nationally, I don't think it has that sort of appeal. I, I, I just don't. And so I don't think he's going to be able to get there. I don't think he's super worried about it. We shouldn't be super worried about it. I really don't think we should be because he wasn't on any, you know, Heisman radars coming into the year. I don't think he's risen up in a big way, even with this incredibly strong performance, but he is playing at that sort of level. He, he's, he's playing at that sort of level. Maybe if everyone keeps losing and Oregon's there, maybe it could gain some traction, but I haven't seen from national college football commentators enough discussion about Bo Nix, right? The attention for Oregon when people mention them, Right, Colin Coward talked about the Ducks the other day. Joel Cladis uh, given them their their due praise on on his podcast as well. A bunch of other commentators. It goes to Dan Lanning first. They go to Lanning and Dillingham and say they're doing such a great job. And then Bo Nix is kind of an afterthought. It may sound silly, but those sorts of little narrative things do play into how the Heisman Trophy gets decided. Let's go over to the defense now. Uh, a couple. Well, more than a couple of you have asked questions about the defense, so I'm going to address a lot of that right here. And the biggest question with Oregon's defense right now is, are they really as bad as the numbers suggest? Because if you look at Oregon's defensive statistics this year, they stink. Yeah, they do. But if I say that out loud, your your first reaction might be, yeah, they do. They're really, really bad. Yeah, okay. No, Arizona's defense stinks. Stanford's defense stinks. Arizona State can't stop anybody except Stanford, whose offense is terrible. So when we say Oregon's defense has been disappointing, which is how I feel about it right now, has been a letdown and still needs to improve if the Ducks are going to win the Pac-12, which they're currently the betting favorites to do and are in a great position to do, Yeah, the defense is going to have to get better. But listen to these numbers, and these are not getting there by accident. Now, there is some context. Stats are a starting point, not an end point. I'm going to repeat that. That might be my catchphrase from now until the end of time. Like, hey, I'm Spencer. Nice to meet you. Stats are a starting point, not an end point. What's your your go-to line? That might be something I roll with here. But anyway, Oregon is 10th in the Pac-12 in points per game allowed, 29 per. Yeah, that's not very good. That's worse than last year, by the way. They're 11th in passing yards per game allowed, 
Only team behind him, Cal, at just over 275. Something we'll talk about on tomorrow's show. They are second in rushing yards allowed per game. That is where they have been good. They have been stout against the run. It is tough to get yards on the ground. Though Zach Charbonnet and UCLA just proved it is not impossible. They're seventh in total yards per game allowed at 384. Here's the worst part, and we've talked about this extensively. 129th in the country in third down defense, 50.5%. Oh, yikes, that's that's bad. 100... <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, this is just painful to say out loud. 129th. The only teams that uh, that there there are only two teams. They're 129th out of 131 teams. Here are three teams that are ahead of Oregon in third down defense this year. Arizona State, who's two and five, might lose to Colorado on Saturday. UConn. I thought they got rid of their football program until I heard they hired Jim Mora and Vanderbilt. Hmm. When you're looking at team statistics in college football, this year's Arizona State team, UConn and Vanderbilt are, wait for it, not the company you want to have. So let's go back to my original question. Have they really been that bad? No. They have not been that bad. They have been pretty bad at times. But again, I'm going to say it probably a dozen times on this show. Stats are a starting point, not an end point. Because you can look at that points per game number and say, man, 29 per, that's really high. It is. It's higher than I would like it to be. But I remember games where Stanford scored three points and a half. BYU scored seven points in three quarters. And UCLA was held to 13 points and a half. And I guarantee you that's not what they had in mind, getting held to field goals twice when they moved the ball down on Oregon's side of the field. Context always matters with the Oregon defense. Third down is the biggest issue because... What these numbers are indicating, and the UCLA game was a step forward because they were able to do a better job of getting off the field, but they need to show that sort of success on third down earlier in drives. That's how you bring the yardage numbers down. That's how you stop teams from ultimately getting some points. If they don't move it down in the sky, I know this is revolutionary stuff I'm going through here, so Try to keep up with me, Duck fans. If a team doesn't move the ball on you to begin with, they're not going to score. And so Oregon's defense against a really good UCLA offense, I cannot underscore that enough. It's a really good Bruins offense. Chip is still a smart play caller. I, I was overall encouraged by the showing they had defensively on third down specifically. When you can do that, That is a boon to your team rather than being a drawback or a liability. Now, they need to be able to do that earlier in drives so they're not allowing so many yards because the other issue you have with that is the defense is then on the field for more and more plays. So guys wear down. They're tired. More plays always favors the offense, right? Chip's offense is back in the day. 
I think Dillingham to an extent now, but I don't think a, a ton. Look at Josh Heupel at Tennessee, Ryan Day at Ohio State. They want to run as many plays as possible because they know that a defense wears down as the game goes on. So the reason the third down defense, I think, is the crux of all of this is because there are a lot of third down conversions at Oregon's elect. It's not like they're just having other teams move the ball on them on first and second down time and time again. They're just getting the third downs. They're having, you know, 12 to 15 of them in a game, and then Oregon's allowing 8 to 10 conversions, and you just can't have that. So what I want to see from Oregon's defense going forward are more drives where the other team doesn't cross the 50. And I don't care what offense that is. I especially feel that way against Cal. I mean, this is, again, not a good offense. I actually think Wilcox could be a decent coach. I know he'd be a good defensive coordinator. But I think he could actually be a good head coach if he could just find a better OC. I I, I really do. And we're going to talk about the Bears matchup more on, on tomorrow's show. But this week in particular, if that Oregon defense really has taken some strides the way that they showed against UCLA, Cal is not scoring over 20 points. Neither of these upcoming opponents should score over 20 points. There's no excuse for that. None. Colorado averages 15 on the year. Cal's offense is is not good. They've got a couple nice wide receivers, but their O-line is pretty weak. Got exposed by Washington last week, whose front four is good, but Oregon should be comparable to what, what the Huskies have. They don't run the ball consistently. They're, like, they're, they're okay. They're not very creative. They're not innovative, and they're pretty weak at the quarterback position with Jack Plummer. So, Oregon's defense has not been that good. But when you look at those numbers, you'd say, wow, is that like a bottom third team in the Pac-12? No, it's the team that leads the Pac-12. And it's an offensive team, no doubt. The offense is, is driving the bus here. But just because you're scoring a lot of points does not mean you're in this situation. Right? Your defense can't be that bad. For example... Washington's offense, statistically this year, has been really, really good. Their defense has been a little up and down. UCLA was up 40 to 16 on them going into the fourth. Oregon was up 31 to 13 on UCLA at the half. One's on the road, one's at home, but still, Oregon looks like the better team right now because their defense is a step up from where the Huskies are. And that's not the only comparison that you want to have if you're Oregon. Right, You're not just looking at your rivals and saying, well, we just want to be better than them. No, you want to be better in the grand scheme of things. But I think the stats are only slightly, only slightly misleading. Because I just think it's that third down number that's got to come down. That's got to be for a team that has won the recruiting battle four years in a row. It should be better. It should be way better. I'm, I'm talking about it should be in the 30s. It should be in the 30s. You've got the best athletes on the field in any given matchup in this conference if you're Oregon. There's no excuse for that other than schematically. They're just not there or they're not paying attention to to some of the little details. But run defense has been good. That's a product of having two good linebackers. I mean, they've got three or four good linebackers, frankly, led by Sewell and, and Flo, who are not very good against the pass but are really good against the run. And then that defensive front has played well, but 
they've struggled to consistently create pressure, right? DTR, I think, was sacked once. Was he sacked? I'd, I'd like there really was not a lot of pressure on him consistently over the course of that game. And that's a good offensive line. But if you're going to be a good defense, you have to show up in those sorts of matchups against a quality offensive line. And then pass coverage wise, the linebackers just haven't been there. I have been encouraged, though, by what I've seen in the secondary. I like Dante Manning more by the week. I like Triquez Bridges more by the week. I think Manning's ceiling is higher, but he's seeing the field a pretty good amount. Because you're seeing a lot of situations, especially now with these offenses that, you know, throw the ball a bunch. Certainly, this will be the case against uh, Washington, maybe a little less so against Cal and Oregon State and Colorado somewhere in the middle, where you have to have three DBs on the field. And that third corner, it's been Jaleel Florence sometimes, but it's been Dante Manning sometimes. And what we saw against UCLA, they moved Gonzo to shadow Jake Bobo into the slot. And then Dante Manning was playing on the outside. <laughs> he played really well. One of the few pressures that Oregon created was a Dante Manning corner blitz. And man, he flashed that elite athleticism that he's got. I, I've, I've really liked what I've seen from him. I think he and Bridges both have improved tremendously over the last few weeks. And that's encouraging, but the defense still has to, get, still has to keep getting better. Mailback question to end today's show. This is from uh, Evan Tucker, who I believe is a new question asker. Might be wrong, but a lot of you keep asking questions, which honestly, like seriously, means the world to me that, that you ask questions here on the show. I love doing mailbag stuff. You love doing mailbag stuff. It's just, it's fantastic. So thank you all for continuing to support the show. Hey, Spence. I think I accidentally deleted the H when I was writing this down. So, hey, Spencer, which team would scare you the most for the Ducks to face in the Pac-12 championship? And which of the likely contenders are you most confident that they could beat? Keep up the great work and Skoducks. By the way, he spelled Skoducks with a K. I don't know if it's supposed to be a C. Either is acceptable in my view. I don't know if there's a proper way to do that. Just a side note. But USC scares me the most. And they scare me the most because what does Oregon struggle to do this year? Throw the football. And we just saw him against UCLA, who want to run the football a little bit more than, than USC. Right. I think UCLA in a perfect world is about 60 40 run pass. USC is about 60 40 pass run. And I think Utah's, or yeah, I think Utah's a lot closer to UCLA than they are to USC, though they're capable of, of slinging around with Devon Bailey and Dalton Kincaid getting the ball from Cam Rising, even with no Brant Keithy out for the year. But I think USC's weapons on the perimeter would really challenge these Oregon corners. And I like Gonzo. I don't know if he's got the speed straight line to to keep up with Jordan Addison. Dante Manning does, but does he have the technique to constantly you know, be one-on-one in that sort of situation? I think you'd probably put Gonzo there, but then you still have Mario Williams and you still have uh, uh, Brendan Rice. Like they, they just have so many weapons. And then the other thing too, Chip is still a great play caller, but Lincoln Riley is masterful. He is really, really good. And though their defense is the worst of the three, their offense is just so potent with so many weapons. I, I really, I, I really would be scared of USC the most. However, if Oregon is going to prove me wrong and get to the college football playoff, they would need to play USC in the Pac-12 championship game. That is unquestionable because already beat UCLA, and then if it's Utah, right? And if you're talking about the playoff, that means Oregon would have beaten Utah. A rematch. In a game you already won, isn't going to give you as much street cred with the committee 
as a game against a one-loss USC team. And plus, having that Trojan on the side of the helmet, straight up, it helps. It just, it just would. So they do scare me the most, but if you want to get to that level, those are the sorts of games you have to play. I think I'm most confident against UCLA because that formula to me, yeah, you had an onside kick in there, but I, 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 I see progress from Oregon's defense. If they continue to show that, I am more confident in them stopping UCLA because they want to run the football a little bit more. Actually, I don't know. I actually, I actually don't know. My answer was UCLA because they just beat him, but that was also at Autzen Stadium. And if you're talking about a hypothetical rematch for a Pac-12 championship game between them and Utah, I'm curious to see... I need to see the Utes play Washington State first. That uh, on, Honestly, that's my answer because I need to see if this team is actually as physical on the offensive and defensive lines as they were a year ago and they just haven't shown it yet or if they really have taken a step back. Because if you've taken a step back, UCLA has a more dynamic athlete at quarterback and DTR has played just as well as Cam Rising has so far this season. And I think UCLA has got more weapons and a better play caller. So on a neutral field, I think I'd be more scared of UCLA. But if Utah goes into Pullman and looks like the Utah of last year, then I'll go back to UCLA. But if they go in there and struggle or maybe even lose, which, as we know, it's not an easy place to play, then I I would say Utah scares me the least because their weapons on the outside, without Britton Covey, it's just kind of Devon Vele and, and, and Dalton Kincaid, but... I think you put Bennett Williams on Kincaid and I think you put Gonzo on Vele and you've taken away, uh, for the most part, Utah's top options there. And I'm not as confident in in the, the supporting cast that they have as I am in, uh, in UCLA's. But great question. Appreciate it, Evan. Keep them coming at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. You can also hop in the YouTube comments to get a question answered here on the show. I appreciate all of you. 1,400 subscribers on YouTube and hundreds more on the podcast side. Thank you so much for helping make this show what it is. It is truly an honor to get to be here with all of you. Thank you so much. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.